Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome back to the Kelly Green Hour. Um, I have an exciting guest on, a exciting returning guest for you guys today as we approach the potential opening of training camps and hopefully the potential beginning of what is and then uh, what we hope will be an NFL season. Um, and joining me today, I had him on a couple months back, is Dr. Edwin Poras, or on you can find him on Twitter. He's at FB Injury Doctor. Um, he is a doctor of physical therapy, and I think congratulations is is in order because last time you didn't have such a uh, prestigious role. He's now the medical analyst at Fantasy Points. Edwin, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm doing well, man. I appreciate that. Um, I, I, the running joke that I'm going to drive into the ground is over at Fantasy Points is that I am the Christian Leitner of the 1992 Olympic, the U.S. Olympic uh, basketball team. I'm, uh, I worked my way to, to I did something uh, that was close enough to be on their team, but I'm nowhere near uh, in the ranks of history, close to those heavyweights. I mean, they're all, they're all great guys too. So I really appreciate the congratulations, and uh, um, I'm just excited to be a part of a part of that team over there. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, the fantasy community is really awesome and everything. And I know we're here to talk Eagles, but I do a lot of stuff with fantasy football, too. And I'm all over Twitter and I got a podcast now there as well. It's a really fun community. And there are some like you said, there's a lot of big guys around the market who are making waves in the NFL and doing things. So it's definitely a, a good starting point for sure. Um, so how, how are you doing? How, are you staying healthy? How's everything in your area with the, during these unprecedented times? Yeah, so I'm in the I'm in the Kansas City area and we are doing we're doing fine. We're doing okay. My wife works at the hospital here as a pharmacist and they got prepared pretty early and so they're doing they're doing okay. Um it, it's it's nice that you know, it's a it's a big deal in terms of people have lost their lives. People are super sick and there's a lot going on. Um, there is also, it's also good news that to a certain extent, obviously as good as it can be, um, a lot of the social distancing and the stay at home orders and things like that, they, they did mitigate the issue a little bit. So that's, you know, that's always a good thing. So we're, we're hanging mm -hmm. in there. Um, I, I think that as the summer rolls through, we'll start to see some of the, some of the bands lifted. And I think that we'll have an NFL season. It might be a little bit different than we're used to, but I think that the season will, uh, will, will move forward. hundred percent. And I mean, for people who may watch other sports, the NHL's moving forward. Uh, Adam Silver just announced that it's looking like July 31st for the NBA. It's crazy to think that they're going to actually try and finish these seasons off and then basically jump into the next season so quickly. I mean, I'm sure we could talk about a lot of interesting stuff as far as what that does to an athlete's body and everything. Go, go get in this time off, this rest. Then you're going back into the season and then you're basically having a short time off and then go right back into another season. I'm sure there will be lots to come. And then, of course, the MLB and everything going on there. People, billionaires fighting with millionaires over money. Um, it, it's crazy. It is crazy. I think that this pandemic has really brought out some true colors of, of a lot of people a lot of the uh, rich people and the famous people, and it really kind of showed us who are the most important people in our society when things like this happen. So 
it's certainly been interesting, but I don't want to continue to go on about the pandemic. We hear about it all the time. You can turn on CNN or Fox if you <laughs> want right. to learn about that. Because we're going to talk Eagles football. We're going to talk Eagles injuries. We're going to be talking Eagles health, which has been a major concern over the last couple of years. Um, they have since basically re uh, revamped their entire medical staff again for like the second or third time in the last five years. And we are heading towards the training camp and hopeful opening of training camps here in the next, I believe it's four weeks. Um, so let's start. I want to start with someone who's really intriguing to me and someone who, who's been a bit of a mystery, an air of mystery. We were talking about him before we came on. Uh, Prince Tega Winoko, he was drafted as a seventh round offensive tackle to the Philadelphia Eagles. He was actually supposed to go in rounds one, two, three. I mean, flip a coin. You could have had it anyway. And then suddenly some some major red flags and his knee came up. And he since dropped to round seven, which is awesome that you're getting a day one, day two talent uh, in round seven. Usually red flags turn people off for a round or two, but to turn people off for four to five rounds is something that we're definitely going to talk about. Um, For anyone who has not actually read the story about the guy, he is a fascinating guy. He came over from Nigeria at the age of 14 to move to Alabama. Um, he only played one season at Edgewood Academy, which was his uh, high school. Uh, as a football player, he was actually mostly a basketball player. Um, and then he got recruited um, because of all the traits that he possesses. He's got some crazy speed, agility, some awesome capabilities. He has tremendous potential. Um, but basically... What happened is he put on like 50 pounds in the matter of a couple years to become an offensive tackle uh, at or Auburn and giving up his dream of becoming a basketball player. And now he's in the NFL, but with some crazy red flags. Let's start out with the story. So right before in his freshman year, he broke his tibia and his fibia. Or he fractures tibia and fibia. Can you kind of explain what the fracture of a tibia and fibia is and, and what that can really do for an athlete, like how that can really sideline an athlete? Yeah. So you're talking about the, the tibia and the fibula, which don't worry, that's a, those are extremely hard uh, words uh, to remember and keep straight. There are even, I remember in my undergrad, uh, there were people that took in the general anatomy class. Uh, the teacher had to write on the board tibia, fibula, and then she crossed out all the other ones. And these are pre-health students, right? These are your future doctors in the United States, and they couldn't they couldn't get it right. So don't don't feel bad about it. I'm not calling you out on it. But it's, <laughs> the tibia is the big uh, lower leg bone. It's the one where if you drop down right from your kneecap and you feel a little bump, that's your tibia. That's your shin. It goes all the way down and extends towards your ankle. The fibula is if you touch your kneecap again, sort of right in the middle of your kneecap just come on over to the very side, the outside of your leg, and then drop down about an inch or so, you'll feel another little bump. That's the head of your fibula. That's a smaller bone. It doesn't do much weight bearing. It's sort of just there to keep the ankle joint at the bottom of the of the knee together. So that's a much smaller bone. So the fact that he fractured both tells me that it was probably some sort of what it's called a compound fracture. So it was a pretty significant fracture because it went across both of those bones. The, the thing with with those leg with those with those bones is that they are weight bearing bones and just it sounds it's exactly what it sounds like they they bear all the weight through the body and there's not a lot you can do when it comes to fractures you just let you just let 
nature take its course. Um, you have to let that those bones heal. And since they are weight bearing bones, it's going to be it, it was probably at least five weeks if it was a major fracture, five or six weeks before he could even start putting a lot of weight on it um, and doing athletic activities. Now, the cause of the fracture, we could argue, you know, for the rest of eternity, theoretically, what caused those fractures. But we don't know the fact that he did put on those 50 pounds such you know, you want to call it later in life because, you know, once you're an adult and you've been doing athletic activities, your body has adjusted to doing one specific activity, you know, or whatever specific activities that, that you've been accustomed to doing, which is why movement variability is so important just for general health. But he went from playing basketball, which is a lot of repetitive sort of jumping up and down and, uh, and, um, and it's sort of at a lighter weight. But he went from that to playing football and he put on all this weight that his body just isn't accustomed to. So could there have been something that happened to him uh, or could there could could the bone density in his legs not been dense enough to keep up with, you know, the the demands of, of that extra weight? Because even though he gained 50 pounds and, you know, let's even say 50 percent of it was muscle, there's there's inevitably going to be some some non lean mass, some some fat mass that that gets loaded on there that doesn't really pull its weight. Uh, no pun intended. When you fracture those the, those bones, um, and once you get to the point that he was at, it's really hard to get back to to full activity, and it's really difficult to just do the everyday things that athletes need to do to stay in shape. So um, that's that's sort of how I'm viewing it, and it might also have the, that extra weight might have something to do with with the knee injuries that you've mentioned. Yeah. So speaking of that, he he became a red flag and dropped so much because of the multiple issues with his knee, not necessarily the broken tibia and fibula that that was originally that originally happened that's just an injury that happened in the past and may not necessarily affect him as in the in his NFL time but the issue became with his knee right before the senior bowl they scoped his knee for a lingering injury that if you do some research and some digging it's quite difficult to find out what actually is affecting his knee it seems as though there's no real answer you did your research before this i did my research and it just sounds like really maybe could it, it, it could be potentially from the weight gain it could be i i highly doubt it but maybe from the broken bones that he had suffered earlier in life um but i mean speak to that a little bit about the medical red flag around a knee issue that that needs to be scoped and stuff what 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 does that kind of look maybe you can explain what 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 you would be looking for when you're when you would scope a knee and and what types of concerns are the red flags really are do you believe the red flags are 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 true and real and will affect him in his nfl career i guess is is kind of what i'm trying to ask they they could right so it's not i shouldn't say no or it's not a big deal or you know he'll move on from it without any issues because we really don't know and and we were talking before the show we don't really know what they were specifically or what's going on but you do have those scopes and what you do essentially when those scopes you can consider those like a a cleanup Um, you can even view it as um, to a certain extent like when you shave like when when guys will shave maybe some stubble they go in with a razor and they sort of trim up some some loose ends and those loose ends have been causing some pain and being uh, just getting in the way and not letting that joint move freely without pain. So that's essentially what a scope is. They just go in and sort of clean it up. And the the the, the risk with scopes is that if you have enough of them, you sort of have this Sony Michelle effect where he had, I think, two or three within a 
you know, handful of years after an ACL tear and you run into the, the quote unquote degenerative joint issue, because any time that you have damage to the knee, you, you are using damage. I know, I think it might've been that the last time I was on the pod, we talked about this. Um, a surgery is a trauma. And so mm-hmm. essentially what you're doing to fix trauma that happened to the knee with the scope is you're just inducing more trauma. Now, in the end, it ends up being better because you don't have pain and you've sort of gotten rid of the issues that are flaring up the knee. But it's at the end of the day, it's still another trauma that you're adding to the knee in the long term. And that is never good for ink for for the risk of, of arthritis. And so those are the things that you think of uh, when you when you consider his his knee scopes. But you can't really predict exactly, you know, to what extent or when that will that will happen. But the fact if he's only had one, it's really not that big of a deal. A lot of guys in the NFL have had just one. But if it also if it comes along with, you know, the the, issue, the other issues we've had where he's putting on the weight and he his body can't adjust to it or whatever the case may be, that's going to be a bigger issue. Um, but, you know, if I had to say, is he an injury liability? I guess you'd the answer would have to be yes, because of the lack of information we have. Um, but at the same time, if I'm not going to put him up there, you know, in terms of a tier of, of super, super high risk and the Eagles are generally a really smart organization. So you'd have to think that they, they looked into the research and looked into his situation. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, there's a reason he dropped as far as he did and you know that they did their research and they probably would have loved to have pulled the trigger sooner on the guy. But then when he got to where they got, they said, well, we've done our research. We're willing to take the risk. One thing that we that I love about the Eagles are constantly building in those trenches and they got depth beyond depth beyond depth. I mean, when you look at our defensive line and when you look at our offensive line, we look at the talent that Halapuli Vati Vaitai ended up going and getting paid. He's getting paid like ten million dollars. <laughs> never a say year. that one. <laughs> He's getting paid ten million dollars a year. We got that man paid and the reality of it is for me he's a subpar offensive lineman. It's sad to say, but he is a subpar offensive lineman. And he was for the most part depth for us. He wasn't even a starter for the majority of the time he was in Philadelphia. So they know what they're doing. They know what they want in an, in those trenches. And a Prince Tega, Prince Tega Winoko is someone who it seems to be is somebody that they think could really help if even just being a backup, being a sub, playing that supporting role and then going off and getting paid like Vitae did. So, I mean, I'm really interested to see what happens with him because he did have, like I said, day one, day two grades all leading up until more and more came out about these medical red flags and these medical issues and his knee. And um, we did actually talk about trauma last time and that surgery is a trauma because we're going to move right into Deshaun Jackson. We talked about Deshaun Jackson last time. He had the abdomen strain that ended up being this core muscle, like kind of like ripped off or whatever we were talking about. And he ended up having to get core muscle repair surgery that ended up sidelining him for the remainder of the season. Me personally, Deshaun Jackson's injuries, I feel, are a little overblown. Prior to this season, which he missed the bulk of the season, I think he played two games. Uh, Prior to this season, I think he's missed four games in four or five games in the last four or five years. So I think that the injury situations are a little overblown, but that could just obviously be age, the wear and tear of football and being that downfield speed threat. Um, those types of injuries can happen when you're stopping and you're going and you're you're cut, trying to come back on a ball and stuff. Those types of knee situations happen. Um, so give me give me a, what can, does this abdomen strain and this core muscle repair surgery that happened 
Do you think it has any effect on what we could see from Deshaun Jackson this season, knowing and understanding also that he is, I think he's 32 years old, so he's getting a bit older from a football player perspective? Yeah, I think that it's it's important to, like you said, sort of put everything into context. He's 32 years old. He's never been a field, like a technician, right? He's not Michael Thomas. He's not working the underside uh, of the defense. He's not working the middle of the field. He's not beating defenders with his footwork, his savvy. <laughs> he's He's getting on the field. He's stretching the field, and he's sprinting down the field. That's something that is, uh, it's just something that has a lot more to do with athleticism. And so this is why guys like Deshaun Jackson can age as gracefully as they have. He has had the injuries, like you said, but in reality, it really hasn't amounted mounted to a ton until this last season. I'm going to miss time. And this specific injury that he's had is, um, it's, it's, it's favorable. There's been a lot of NFL, there's been a, a, a pretty big NFL study on players who had this issue that that Deshaun Jackson just had and had surgery for it and the results were promising it showed that there was basically no change in terms of uh, the amount of games that they play there's no drop in career change or anything or a career sort of early retirement um, it's all the same and so this, this this surgery has favorable outcomes but again you look at his age and you sort of think to yourself you know this this could just be the beginning of his body beginning to break down because you can't run a sub 4440, you know, the entirety of your life without your body starting to to go through these these just natural physiological changes. But for for the time being and for this season, I don't I don't necessarily think that Deshaun Jackson is um, at an at a super elevated risk. You just have to sort of take it with a grain of salt. And then the Eagles just drafted a ton of speed on the outside, so um, that's going to help him as well. And maybe take take a few breaks when he needs it. Yeah, definitely. I mean, they clear. It was clear that the expectation was going to be that if healthy, he was going to carry a significant workload. We also didn't realize Nelson Aguilar would completely disappear off the face of the earth and and give up on the team. We didn't realize yeah. these situations. Interesting, were- huh? Very right. And then the situations with Alshon Jeffrey, which we're going to get into as well. Um, Just the wide receiver position in a general sense. I always like to bring up the stat because I think it's amazing. And I actually had a argument with someone earlier today who said that's not about the quarterback. That's about his ability to just find an open player. The fact that Carson Wentz had a 4,000-yard season. The first one in NFL history where he didn't have a 500-yard receiver speaks to the expectation that was going to be there for a guy like Deshaun Jackson. The expectation, that leap that they expected Aguilar to continue to have while paying him $9 million. The expectation that Alshon Jeffrey would be healthy and would produce like he was producing in prior years for the Eagles everyone was so hyped up about this receiving core and it, it was a shame what happened to it as the season went on and they basically more or less started from scratch Jaw not actually emerging in in any factor whatsoever as our second round pick like there we have to there, there was a rough season at the wide receiver position and now people are hyping the wide receiver position up again because we got a track team on the field i'm gonna pump the brakes on it because i'm not prepared to to go through that again um but <laughs> you're scarred I mean, exactly i mean i'm just not prepared to be there again not not prepared to accept that yet no matter what pff says or anybody says i'm just not prepared to accept the reality that we might have a good receiving core just because you have five guys who can run sub 440s 
doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, that we have the best receiving core or anything like that. We, we also have to have this expectation that health and that a lot of these players who we want to emerge and need to emerge, emerge as the players we expect them to be. Um, so it definitely should be interesting to watch that wide receiver position. We now currently on roster have like 12. Obviously, we're not going to keep 12, so it'll be interesting to see who they actually choose to keep. Um, but I think Deshaun Jackson's a safe bet to remain on the roster for this year. But I think there's a lot less dead money at the end of next year. And if any of these speedsters emerge, Deshaun Jackson's uh, reunion with Philadelphia could end up a little sh bit shorter than the three years we were expecting. Um, so in general, do you, what are you, what's your risk factor for Deshaun Jackson from one to 10, one being no risk whatsoever to 10 being a risk and the potential recurrence of this type of injury, if there is any. That's a tough one to do. I know that people love giving numbers and they love, uh, they love getting that, that hard understanding of where, where's Deshaun Jackson at. So considering that there's no, the research tells us that there isn't a big drop off. I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to defer to the research. This is, this is less opinion and more so fact. Um, I'm going to say he is at about compared to the average NFL player. Let's say he's a five or a six. So he's right about average, I would say. Okay, perfect. Well, I mean, obviously we, you know, you're never going to get the number dead on because things happen. Stuff happens in the NFL. There's freak injuries. We see it all the time. Deshaun Jackson's injury, technically, despite people labeling him injury prone and saying that all he does is get injured, the abdomen strain did not come from a previous injury, to my belief. I think it was just one of those free things where, you, you know, it, it happened. He, he tried to play through it. He tried not to go and get surgery and create more trauma to his body. But at the end of it all, he, he it didn't work. It made it worse. And he ended up having to go and get the core muscle repair surgery um, that sidelined him for the remainder of the season. Um, so, I mean, it is, it, it's difficult to see for Deshaun Jackson because there's a lot of people who like Deshaun Jackson. And, and I know if you go to Edwin's Twitter, you will see in his biography description that injury prone is a lie. So I cannot wait <laughs> to get to Carson Wentz. But since we're at the wide receiver position, we're going to talk Alshon Jeffrey. Um, he suffered a midfoot sprain in week 14, um, and which ultimately led him to make the decision of getting the uh, Liz Frank surgery. Can you explain for us what a Liz Frank surgery is for anyone who may not know that? Because we know Car Car Cam Newton is going through it. We know Alshon Jeffrey's gone through it. We know multiple NFL players who've gone through it before. Yeah, so the Liz Frank injury is essentially, okay, so if you touch the middle of your foot, if your finger, let's just put right in the middle of your foot, um, essentially, you, and then slide over, uh, slide over like half of an inch, or I guess in, in Canada, slide, slide over like three millimeters to the left. And you're right at the middle of between the first and the second metatarsal is what they're called. And that's sort of that midfoot, that midfoot area. And what happens is there's a twisting injury or there's a, a hard plant in his case is what happened. And the ligament between the first and the second metatarsal there, it, it gets it gets either you can either fracture the bone or you can just basically rupture the ligament that holds those toes or sort of the, the bones before the toes together. So what they do is they go in and they sew that back up. And the reason 
that it's such a delicate area, such a, a, a gruesome injury is because like we talked about with the weight bearing joints is that it's right in the middle of your foot and it's, it's a pretty, I wouldn't say fragile, but if there's a part of your body that you really doesn't hold up well with like torsional tension forces, it's going to be the middle of your foot. And so when you're walking, that's all you're doing is repetitively sort of, uh, pounding into that, into that position with the foot. And so you have to really offload that, that part of the body and let it heal. So the return to sport time, return to play time for NFL players is just about seven to 10 months. And in reality, it's probably a little longer because they mixed those results up with rugby players. Um, so those rugby players, I think, I think actually come, come back a little bit earlier, but you're looking at an average of 10 months but the standard deviation on that is seven is, is three, right? So that means it can be anywhere from seven months to even 15 months, but the average is 10. So that's what you're looking at with, uh, with Alshon. Perfect. That, that was my next question was a realistic timetable for return. And since you corrected me on fibia and fibula, I'm going to correct you. We don't go millimeters. It's centimeters. It's centimeters. Dang it. Close oh, enough. Close <laughs> enough. We'll, we'll go with that. Most of our listeners probably don't even know what a centimeter is, so it doesn't even matter. But for my Canadian pride, I'm going to I'm going to tell you you it's centimeters. Um, So I guess for me, like we've seen uh, Cam Newton struggle with it and the issues with Cam Newton and now Alshon Jeffrey. And there's the very real possibility that they're going to put him on the pup list to start the season, which likely puts him out of action for at least six to eight weeks. Um, what is, what, what is a risk for re-injury? What are some setbacks that people could suffer in the Liz Frank after getting the Liz Frank surgery? I mean, it certainly doesn't sound like a great surgery. It certainly doesn't sound like a surgery you ever want to actually have to go through. Um, but what, like, what's his risk for re-injury and what types of other like things could come up that could set him back beyond the 10 months that you're talking about? Yeah, that's a really good question. So the thing about that list, Frank injury is there aren't a lot of, it's, it's not, it's a pretty rare injury. So you don't see a ton of recurrence, but what you do see is that it lingers. Uh, the original, the original injury just tends to linger. And what you see is in offensive players, you have a dip in production I, they measured production with this tool is a, a sort of statistical tool and it's it takes into account receptions um receptions touchdowns and yards and it sort of compares it to to positions to relative to positions so tight ends tight ends wide receivers wide receivers and so what you see is this 21 percent drop in offensive production the year after the surgery and then the second year after after the surgery the production comes back so in the second year, the production comes back, but they actually tend to start fewer games than they did prior to the injury itself. Now it's unclear if, because we, it's it's not in the study itself doesn't doesn't talk about whether it was because of the injury or if it wasn't because of the injury, uh, the original injury. But you just you tend to see them start fewer games two and three seasons after. So this is uh this is by uh, Samir Samir Singh, Doctor Samir Singh put this study out. I should mention. Um, it's a really good study, but essentially you just worry about his offensive production afterwards and considering that he's also, you know, for NFL standards, he's he's older, so the healing time might be a little longer for him. It's just one of those things that's a really, really delicate situation, and it's just, it's interesting um, 
and maybe not ironic so much that the two oldest receivers on the Eagles roster are going through uh, sort of injury woes at this time. And they're both from non-contact sort of uh, body body reacting differently to age type of injuries. Mm, yeah, definitely. And I mean, Alshon Jeffrey is almost 31. So, I mean, you do speak kind of to that, that piece by uh, Dr. Singh there. And and like I guess there there could be the very realistic possibility that you never see the Alshon Jeffrey that we acquired and the Alshon Jeffrey that that Eagles fans expected to get and right, uh, right. ever again because of this because I mean almost 31 years old going to be 31 by the time he touches the field again post Liz Frank surgery you can't put high expectations on the guy and I think that the biggest thing right now is Alshon Jeffrey is more there for. J Jaw or vice versa. We're just waiting for J Jaw to emerge and to become, you know, that that out that outside big outside receiver who can battle for the catches and can take over that role. And I think that's the only reason Alshon Jeffrey is still on the roster and the only reason Alshon Jeffrey didn't get let go like so many people want it. There's just so much dead cap and tied up in Alshon Jeffrey that if there's a reason to believe you should keep him around or there's a reason to believe that he could be useful to the team for even one more year to do it because the savings for next year and letting him go are are far better. But a lot of people are like, oh, but you can just get the dead money out of the way now. But now that we're looking at it, it, there's such a real possibility that the salary cap doesn't go up at all next year. And as of right now, this very moment, the Philadelphia Eagles would be going into next season negative $50 million in cap. So, and there's now a very realistic and potentially true possibility with the whole COVID-19 situation that we don't see a cap increase, maybe not a cap decrease. There's some people talking about decreases. I think that's a pretty extreme and speaks to issues within the sport if they're decreasing it, but there's a very realistic possibility that it just stays pat and we're negative $50 million. So, I think keeping Alshon Jeffrey around is kind of a smart move because you don't want to just eat all this dead money because that $26 million, when you eat that dead money, spreads over two years. That's $13 million each season, whereas if they wait, I think it's $10 million or less next season. So, I mean, as as much flack as how he is caught for the Alshon Jeffrey situation, I think it's a smart move on his part based on solely – now on the entire, he didn't predict the future, obviously, but based on the whole situation and the likelihood that we won't see a cap increase, but we likely will see a massive one the next year when they renegotiate the TV deal. I mean, I right. don't know for the listeners out there who may not have heard the uh, Madden, EA Sports, and the NFL have come to an agreement on continuing for, uh, I can't remember the exact years, uh, with the... Uh, video games and it is worth one billion dollars for the nfl and 500 million for the nflpa so to think that a video game is making that much money for them and then there's going to be brand new tv deals two years down the road they are going to be so much money for the nfl so i'm telling you man these guys these guys are it sounds insane and for the everyday person it's really hard for 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 them to understand but mm. these guys are underpaid from the oh, from the guaranteed. top of the roster, from the top of the roster to the bottom guy, the foot soldier who has to fight every week to keep his practice spot. These guys are underpaid 
relative to the amount of money that the NFL owners and the NFL in general gets to keep in their pocket. And, oh man, I just, I could go on a rant about it right now that, and, and the MLB, the whole MLB situation is such a good personification of what owners, yeah, will try to, how they try to manipulate the narrative. And they know that the everyday fan will say, oh, do it for the love of the game. Why are the, why are the players holding out? When in reality, you wouldn't go to work if you were told you were going to get a pay cut, agreed to it, and then something happened and they said, oh, hey, by the way, you're going to take another pay cut. And by the way, we're going to put your family at risk. That's a whole, I could go off on a tangent about it, but (laughs) these players are underpaid. So the the more money that they can get and whenever they can get it, the happier I am. I am for them. 100%. I mean, the fact that you signed a new video game agreement and $1 billion is going to the NFL and its owners and half that value is going to the Players Association is just one way of what it actually speaks to. Um, I mean, it's unreal. But like, so, I mean, realistically, the Alshon Jeffrey move, keeping him on the roster and not spreading that dead money over two seasons is a smart move. And I, I mean, people are going to rip him for it because he's probably going to end up on the pup list. He probably won't make an appearance for half the season, but it's a smart move. And it was a very methodical move by Howie, whether people want to admit it or want to see it or not, it's up to them. Um, but there's like, a, there's a very realistic chance you, you, you spoke to Deshaun Jackson. We spoke to Alshon Jeffrey. Neither of them are on the roster at the end of next season. And we saved the money on both of them. Because like I said, we're negative $50 million in the hole right now. And Deshaun Jackson, I can't remember the exact number, but his, he has a significant cap hit. And so does Alshon Jeffrey, even for the next years. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what happens with them. And hopefully they come back healthy. No matter what the fan, Eagles fans think, I want Jackson healthy. I want Jeffrey healthy. And I want them performing for our team. And uh, so I'm not going to sit there and say, oh, you missed a year. Or, oh, Alshon Jeffrey was that that locker room cancer that created all the drama that happened. That's not necessarily true. I want them both healthy because both of them as healthy players, even in their 30s, are probably better than than three quarters of the NFL receivers out there right now. So we got to hope to get them back healthy and performing for us next season. Um, I just want to touch briefly on Brandon Brooks. Brandon Brooks came back from a torn Achilles last season in like record time. And he was having a amazing season until about three weeks uh, left in the season when he dislocated his shoulder. I think he was ranked the number two offensive guard in the NFL. Um, any concern for you in, in the dislocated shoulder for Brandon Brooks? I know in, in I know in a lot of like football movies, they come off their shoulders at a place and pop it back in and they go into the game. Like I doubt that that's very realistic. Obviously, Brandon Brooks missed about missed four weeks and probably beyond that with this dislocated shoulder. Do you think there's any reason for concern or risk around Brandon Brooks? Um, <laughs> That's funny. So about the movies, it, it is sort <laughs> of true. It's there's some truth to that. There are a lot of players who are chronic dislocators, and even just just the common person. You know, I used to be the same way. My shoulder used to come in and out. Um, unfortunately, doing things like playing basketball or whatever. If I slipped and grabbed the stairs wrong, like people dislocate their shoulders often. Um, I don't know if this is his, the first time that he's done it, um, or if he had surgery for it though. Do you know either of those things? Because these I, are things that are hard to find. I believe he had. I, I do believe. Skills. 
I do believe he had surgery, and that was the reason he missed the amount of time he missed. Because I think mm, if it was okay. a basic dislocation that you just put back into place and take some time off to heal, I don't think you would have missed four weeks. But I'm not the doctor here, so. <laughs> right. But so I do I, believe I mean, he did have surgery at the end of the okay. season. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So the fact that he had surgery helps him a lot. Um, the the rate for redislocation after a, for NFL players after a surgery to sort of fix the labrum is still about uh, 13 to 26 percent. Um, now that's a massive, massive drop when you consider that if you don't have surgery, those players are at about a 55 percent risk. So people, players that are you know you look in, around the NFL, uh, Dalvin Cook, Tevin Coleman. Um, who else is dislocated his shoulder? Mitch Trubisky dis- dislocated his his left shoulder. I'm pretty sure. Um, all of those guys you look at and you you think that there's about a 50% or so chance risk that they re-dislocate. But the fact that he had surgery, um, uh, it really really helps his cause. Um, and the fact that he's an offensive lineman really helps that uh, the Achilles situation. Uh, he is in that position a lot, but you sort of you sort of uh, you like your offensive lineman to be sort of gain. Uh, durability and gain, uh, what am I trying to say, sort of the ability to take on load through those uh, tendons is super, super important. And when he did his rehab for the Achilles, he likely did both sides. And that's really, really going to help him in the long run being in that in that stance and being in that that three point stance all the time and just sort of pushing off all the time. That's going to really help him stay healthy from that perspective. Well, that's good because we definitely need a healthy Brandon Brooks back. One of our keys to success over the past years has been the health of our offensive line and also just how great our offensive line is across the board. And like I alluded to earlier with the the uh, Prince Tega draft pick, continuing to have depth and continuing to have a plethora of talent uh, behind the skilled players that you already have, those uh, those players along the offensive line, is so vitally important for the Eagles' success year over year. So we hope all the best for Brandon Brooks, who's probably healthy right now and just waiting to get on a football field. Um, next up, let, let's do it. Let's, let's talk injury prone. Let's talk <laughs> Carson Wentz. So for the people out there, Carson Wentz is quote-unquote injury prone based on three injuries that have completely no relation to one another whatsoever so first of all I want to know I know you said injury prone is a lie so or you say it on your Twitter so let's get into it how do you decide what is injury prone and what is just bad luck injuries like what I believe Carson Wentz is a dirty shot by Jadavian Clowney is not injury prone a, a a complete tear of the ACL when he's diving for the end zone and two guys hit his knees together is a freak accident. A back fracture or whatever he had, micro fracture in his back, not related to any other injury, I believe is a freak accident as well. Am I right? Am I wrong? What do you consider to be injury prone? Great question. This is so it's funny. I've been this is the third Eagles related podcast that I've been on. Uh, I was on the I was on the Bleeding Green podcast with Brandon Gowton. Uh, great guy, by the way. Super, super, super great guy. And then this morning I was on the radio with. Oh, gosh, it was. Uh, what's the name of the radio station in, in the Philly area? I think they're 97.3 The Fanatic. Maybe it is definitely. Yes. 94, 94 WIP. 
So oh, with, nice. yeah, with there's Joe, two of them. So uh-huh, with John Ritchie and Joe DeCamara. So those guys uh, were talking about Carson Wentz. They had me on and they asked me, you know, the exact same questions. And I told them that when you look at a player and you see how they got their injuries and you see the recurrence rates for those injuries and you and you look at how much how those affect how the injuries affect those players in the long run, you don't see a lot for the injuries that Carson Wentz specifically had. And then as far as the injury prone thing in specific, like in, in particular, I really get upset when fans generally will just use the phrase injury prone based off of narrative or based off of a very, very sort of revisionist history narrative of, of their, of the player's injuries. So Carson Wentz, right? He's missed a lot of games. There's no doubt about it. I'm not arguing that he didn't get injured. I'm, what I'm saying is that the chances of him getting those injuries was just a matter of bad luck. And so let's look at it from the perspective of the wrist. He fractured the wrist when he was still in college, right? Well, you know, there's 76% of players who have that exact fracture have no pain long-term and they have very minimal loss in, in grip strength. So, okay, we got rid of that one. Then you look at the vertebral fractures. The vertebral fractures are something that's a little more delicate, but they're also not extremely common among the NFL. The only other player I can think of that, that the quarterback that's had vertebral fractures is uh, Matthew Stafford. Stafford. Mm -hmm. And so you think of Matthew Stafford, but in terms of, you know, these players that, that get injured with these vertebral fractures, it's just not as common. Okay. So then let's talk about the big one, right? The ACL, the ACL is 72% of NFL ACL tears are non-contact. Well, Carson Wentz's ACL tear was contact. So that's he's already in the minority when it comes to that, right? Then you consider the fact that, in general, quarterbacks tear their ACL about 2.5% of the time. That's a pretty crazy number to me. That's pretty low, uh, in mm. my opinion. And so Definitely. then... Mm -hmm. And so you also consider with the ACL that at 12 to 16 months, that that ACL, that graft, that new ACL is is fully mature at just about 12 to 16 months, which is going to help him with in terms of will it happen again? You know, the recurrence rate is going to drop. So then you took all, put all of that into a basket and the very the bow that you can put on the chair you can put on top is that there is this massive large scale study and we can put them in the show notes. I need to start putting these studies that I cite in the show notes um, that at the at the end of the day an ACL tear affects the long-term earnings and the physical capability of all NFL players. Wait for it, except quarterbacks. There's no long-term disability. There's no loss in financials for NFL quarterbacks after they tear, tear their ACL. So those are all in a basket, sort of his, his serious injuries. And you've already mentioned how he, the cheap shot concussion that happened to him that you don't necessarily expect to happen frequently. And mm -hmm. now you sort of consider that Carson Wentz is moving forward should be as healthy as any other quarterback in the NFL. hundred percent. I completely agree. When I see the injury prone discussion and stuff, I'm like, you have to assume if it's injury prone, you have to assume it's the same, at least region of the body every time. Like, I mean, even like if you're talking injury prone, I think it has to be the same exact injury, maybe a knee, an ACL tear, then an ACL or a, a knee sprain, which would be an ACL sprain or an MCL sprain. Like, that's what I would consider if you're constantly, if you tore your ACL and then it sprains over sprains over sprains or whatever, that's what I would consider injury prone. I just don't see that in Carson Wentz. None of these injuries happen because they're they correlate between each other. These injuries happen because 
ultimately, and you know what? It sucks, but this is what we paid for when we pay, A, paid for him, and B, when we drafted him. We wanted a mobile quarterback. That's the future of the NFL. If you don't have a mobile quarterback, if you have a pocket quarterback, you're just not going to get anywhere in the NFL. You need to have someone who can make plays happen for themselves and for the rest of the team and keep plays alive if the pocket collapses. And that's what we got out of Carson Wentz. And that's the main reason why he's had some of his injuries is solely for the fact that he's a mobile quarterback. And you know what? Ultimately, we should be we should count our blessings that these injuries are not linked because look what happened with Robert Griffin. He is someone who I would potentially consider as an injury prone person because it seemed to be. Well, he lost a ton of value off of that original ACL injury, but he also continued to have issues with the knee after the fact. Um, so for me, I do not and I will never admit or say that Carson Wentz is injury prone. And you will be hard pressed to find me say most players are injury prone. I will certainly in, in fantasy discussions cite their injuries, but I won't sit there and say. Now, George, this one's an interesting one. Todd Gurley, I don't consider him to be an injury-prone player, but arthritis in the knee is something of concern. It is something that I will always bring up in a discussion about Todd Gurley. Now, I posted something for the True North Fantasy fo- fantasy uh, people, which is my uh, which is my fantasy football people, uh, th- today and talk. Let's let's just talk purely talent because every time you talk about Todd Gurley, you bring up the knee, you bring up the arthritis. What are your thoughts on Todd Gurley? A little off topic, but I mean, like, do you find it hard to actually say someone is injury prone? Yeah, so it's it's to say injury prone is sort of it's anecdotal. I mean, it's anecdotal, not anecdotal. It's paradoxical because what I mean, it is probably a little anecdotal. But when you look at if I'm driving down the road at 75 to 80 miles per hour, right, Connor, and mm-hmm. I hit a tree, nobody in their right mind would look at me and say, "Wow, you got injured in a car accident." you are injury prone. That doesn't make sense, right? That's not, mm-hmm. that's, first of all, it's heartless. Second of all, that's not, it's just not true because I'm engaging in a high risk activity. Now, flip the activity from uh, the high risk activity from driving in a car that we don't think about it as high risk, but it is to playing football where we know that in a span of, of four years in 512 games, there was a 2.3% injury free uh, uh, rate of games, literally 2.3% of games over four years were injury free. So when you consider that, and I don't know why when these dudes put on their shoulder pads and helmet that people are ca- all of a sudden calling them, you know, injury prone. It's, it's an anomaly to stay healthy in the NFL. That's, that's mm-hmm. the, that's the anomaly. So that's sort of from a big pig- picture perspective of where I'm coming from. Uh, when it comes specifically to Todd Gurley, he is the specific type of example that you look at with early ACL tears in college and in high school. He's another sort of uh, Sony Michelle, like I mentioned him earlier. He's another guy that had early ACL and then he had early scopes. And then that that degenerative joint, quote unquote, started to set in, settle in. And the, the symptoms started to come on because I want to get across that it's not the the quote unquote bone on bone. Uh, that gets people. That's a lot of people. I probably have 
arthritis. You may have arthritis in your knee or in your back. That's, that's just what the research shows that most people do have some sort of arthritis. Mm-hmm. What you run into is when it starts becoming symptomatic, that's when it matters. That's when it starts sort of leading to disability. So Todd Gurley just happened to, unfortunately, um, that set in for him early. And when you look at him, it's just, a, it's a matter of volatility. You know, if he exercises, does his prehab, his rehab, they manage his volume at the goal line. They manage his volume um, in, at the sort of in the red zone. Um, he takes a, a load management approach to to the game. Then he can definitely stay healthy. But the thing is with Todd Gurley and with that specific condition is that it takes one hit to the knee, one elbow, one, one uh, sort of uh, drag into the turf type of tackle that will set off this sort of just this this cycle that doesn't end of inflammation of pain and he's going to have a really hard time coming back to that regardless of how much exercise or load management happens so when i look at him and i if i were to summarize in one word it would be volatile Mm, yeah that's definitely a good way to do it because you could sit there and you could reap the benefit from a purely fantasy perspective for two seconds you could you can sit there and you can reap the benefits of a Todd Gurley who's been a top 15 running back since the minute he stepped into this league. But all it takes is, like you said, that one shoulder into the knee to really get to just be the end of his career. Essentially, you could realistically that could be the end of his career because he may never actually come back from that. And the fact that he continues to play football good on him. You got to make money. You got to get paid. But man, there can't be many years left there because you want to be able to walk. You want to be able to play with your kids. You want to be able to play with your grandkids. You want people. So you have to realistically think about that and have that expectation in your mind. This guy isn't even 30 years old and he's got some major arthritis in the knee. He's got some major issues with his knee. You want to be able to walk. And that that's the one thing. And there's a lot of NFL players who when they leave the game, they're like, I left because I wanted to be able to see my kids, to hold my kids, to run with my kids, to walk with my kids. It's a very realistic expectation in the NFL that once you're injured once, once you've been injured once or twice, you may, it likely will happen again and again and again. And the lasting effect that it may have on you is beyond any comprehension for a regular person watching the NFL. We just sit there and we just cheer for the Eagles. We we love the Eagles and we don't care what happens to Carson Wentz post-Eagles life. But realistically, you have to think about that as a fan just as much because these guys want to be able to do the things you do with your kids, with your family, and so on. And so, I mean, it's a bit of a tangent, but like, I guess for for me, it's tough to watch them sometimes and tough to watch some of the players suffer through what they have to suffer through because all it takes is one injury, all it takes is one time, and it changes your life forever. And a guy like Todd Gurley's continuing to fight through what he has on God knows what medication all day, every day. And what will his life after football look like in five, six years? Because I don't see him making it past five years. But I mean, that that's a big issue that, that comes up. It, it, and for me, that's why bringing it around about that's why Carson Wentz is not injury prone. We don't have to think about will he be in the league in five years? I think it, without a doubt, Carson Wentz can play until the age of 40. 
Will he be will he be able to remain a mobile quarterback? Obviously not. You don't see Tom Brady, Ben Roethlisberger, Drew Brees running out of the pocket often because it's just not a smart decision to make after you get over 32, 33 years old. Um, so for me, I, I'm glad we could put this to rest a little bit about Carson Wentz because it is really <laughs> yeah, hard. I'm the utmost authority and I will I put it to rest. Thank you. I appreciate it. I just find it so hard to sit there and watch people that are like, well, Dak Prescott never got hurt. Well, Carson Wentz has missed like regular season. He has missed like four games in the last four years. Dak Prescott has missed no very limited regular season action, if any regular season action, but he hasn't seen the playoffs. So the, the big difference here and the issue that I have around all this, I mean, is just like, how can you sit there and use that against a quarterback? A quarterback who has done what he has done for you. I can tell you right now, Nick Foles, you, we could have put, at, at the end of the day, we could have chose Wentz or Foles. If we chose Foles, we would probably be in a rebuild right now. There, I hate that. I hate to say it, and I hate the reality of the situation. But we would be in a rebuild right now because Nick Foles is not a starting caliber quarterback. He was a savior, and he was a hero, and he was a godsend for us the year we won the Super Bowl. And but you cannot tell me that we were winning that Super Bowl and getting that fire with Nick Foles for 16 full <laughs> games, 20 that's a, uh, full that's games. A probably one. One in 100 chances. You play 100 seasons, that probably happens once. Exactly. He got a massive contract. Then he got sit. Now he's off over in Chicago. He had to restructure his contract because he's getting paid way too much for a guy who can't be a starting quarterback or a reliable starting quarterback. And I love Nick Foles. Listen, put a statue of him outside of, of the <laughs> field. Go ahead. The Philly special statue, I definitely agree. that It's got to be there. It should be there. But at the end of the day, if you're going to put a Philly special statue, make sure Carson Wentz is the next statue five feet down because Carson Wentz is just as important to this team and was just as important to that Super Bowl as anything. And at the end of the day, injury prone is likely a lie, just like you said. It is likely a lie because if you actually look at the t amount of injuries that are all correlated exactly to a former injury, I bet the percent would be extremely low. It's just the reality of the NFL. You get hurt, you get injured, and as a quarterback, your chance probably skyrockets the minute you choose to say, I'm leaving the protection of those five guys standing in front of me. And that's just what Carson Wentz does to make things happen for the Eagles. So now let's have some fun. We 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 that we had a real we had a real conversation. <laughs> we 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 talked. I want to get you off the clock of thinking about medical stuff. So let's have some fun. Super Bowl prediction. We're gonna have some fun. We're gonna we're gonna do. I got four questions here, um, and we're gonna start off with a Super Bowl prediction. What's your Super Bowl prediction for this season? I think last time I was nice and said the Eagles. Um, not gonna be so nice to you this time. <laughs> it's really hard to see it's really hard not to imagine the chiefs back in the super bowl um anything can happen obviously but you don't really count the patriots as a contender anymore um no. the bills and jo josh allen's a madman uh, i don't think that he can truly lead uh, for different reasons i actually I, I think josh allen's a lot like nick Foles um for different reasons obviously um but i don't think he's consistent enough or makes the right decisions often enough to actually 
push a team into the playoffs and, and deep into the playoffs. Um, so that's really who you think about. And and maybe in the you also consider maybe at this point um, this, the Steelers who weirdly enough were right there. They were sort of right in the playoff mix in the middle of the season and they had the worst possible quarterback situation imaginable probably in recent history. So you I don't know, man. I think I'd argue the Detroit Lions, but the Detroit Lions, they yeah, had no Lions chance. Too. Realistically, oh, right, right, right. they had no chance. But but yeah, no, I get where you're coming from with the Mason Rudolph situation. Uh-huh. And uh, what what uh, what's his other name there? The other one that we watched week uh, over week. Uh, Devlin Hodges. Devlin Hodges. Yeah, they, like, though, I agree. That was hard to watch. If I was an Eagles fan, like the amount of times those guys would have got booed off the field is, is unreal. It's terrible. But continue. Yeah, they were pretty bad. Those are the teams that you think about. And even then you just say to yourself, like, man, the Ravens and the Chiefs, you know, those are the teams that are going to the, the Texans who have a, a generational generational quarterback just traded away their best receiver because Bill O'Brien is literally n- an idiot. I don't know what I was he's say, thinking. They have I don't a know. generational yeah. quarterback, but a generational screw up a as, generationally a, as a coach. Stupid quarterback and, and manager. Um, so then you, like I said, then you, what you have left is the Ravens and the Chiefs. And if there's mm-hmm. anybody on this planet who could take down the Chiefs, it's going to be the Ravens. But even then, you put Patrick Mahomes on the field in the last two minutes, you see what he can do. Um, and those weapons are just incredible. So from the AFC, you're going to have to say, you're going to have to say the Chiefs, I feel like. And then in the NFC, I feel like it's a lot more open. And oh, when you start time. to consider that the 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 49ers, <clears throat> I think they were, I think they were good. And I'm not saying they weren't. Um, their path wasn't the most difficult path because um, it was so term- bad the year prior. So you kind of yeah. get that, like you, the schedule goes strength. The schedule goes based on your prior year. So you kind of have to have that expectation. Well, and then they, they played the, they played the Packers twice, right. And within like three weeks and the Packers mm-hmm. were, let's, let's face it. The Packers were, were complete fakers they were not they were not the Packers were 13 and 3 and I think the combined record of all their opponents was like five or six games below 500 during the regular season uh don't quote me on that but I'm pretty sure it was pretty bad the Packers were pretenders last year um Mm -hmm. so I don't know I think that you're gonna have you could potentially see a rematch Niners and Chiefs uh but gosh you really have a hard time counting out any of those any of those teams from the NFC with a good quarterback like the Seahawks so Mm -hmm. let's say let's say Chiefs Seahawks I'm going to go with the Ravens. And the big reason that I'm going Ravens on the AFC side of it, they improved like immensely on defense. The Chiefs did nothing to address a volatile defense already. That defense, you're damn lucky to have Patrick Mahomes throwing the ball because Patrick Mahomes will put, if the other team scores 50 points, Patrick Mahomes will be like, all right, I'm going to go there and I'm going to put up 51. Patrick Mahomes will get you the points, but that defense is hard to watch. That defense is not good, and that division got (laughs) better. You know, they got better from from 18 to 19. They did get a little better, uh, but it's still not – you're right. It's still not a great defense. No, and whereas the Ravens, they improved on offense – they improved on defense. They almost they ba- essentially lost almost nobody. I would go with the Ravens because I think when push comes to shove, if you're going point for point, shot for shot, Chiefs and Ravens, Ravens will make a stop. The Chiefs will not. 
So I'm going with the Ravens on the AFC side. This is a far too early prediction. I mean, the closer to the season, we can reevaluate this. But right. I think I don't think I'm wavering far off the Ravens. And in the NFC, like you said, this is wide open. I love the NFC. I love being in the NFC. The AFC is starting to become more of like a, a bit of a laughing stock, I would I would say. Um, mm-hmm. But, I mean, there are some teams emerging. The Broncos, massive underdogs. I actually think that they're going to make the playoffs. They're, they're this year's Buffalo Bills. Um, but like realistically, the NFC, I mean, you got the Seahawks, like you said, Pete Carroll and Russell Wilson, never count them out. No matter who they have, they could have a bunch of practice squad players all around them and they will find a way to win. Um, the New Orleans Saints, their, uh, their defense is not great, but their offense with now adding on Emmanuel Sanders, Oh, and a full season, Drew Brees, man. You want 50 point game, 50 points every night. That is an offense you could see doing it, especially if Alvin Kamara remains healthy all season. Um, the Cowboys, listen, I, I don't like to talk too much about them on here, so I won't go on long. Offense is great, <laughs> defense is putrid. It is absolutely bad. Eagles, you know what, a- though, with the Cowboys, yeah. sorry to interrupt you. What I noticed is that they just missed a lot of tackles, they have so much talent at all of their positions mm-hmm. that I, and I'm usually not this guy. I'm not narrative guy. I mean, you know this by now that I'm, I'm data driven analytics, medical science. What's the explanation? Let's be pragmatic, but it's just so hard. It was hard to watch the Cowboys defense last year. They just didn't look motivated. I don't know what the, maybe there's a better word for it. They didn't look enthused. They just didn't play with. They did speed. not look like the offense. And maybe that was just Jason Garrett. Maybe that was just exactly. like the time was up. And with a lot of teams, when the time is up with the coach, you can tell just by how the players play and the players react as the season goes on. You saw the Eagles. They had a bunch of practice squad wide receivers. Injuries were piling up week over week and they played their damn hearts out. Listen, and I know we're an Eagles podcast, so it, it sounds like we're just being biased. But if you were someone watching from the outside and you saw that week 16 roster versus what we were going to field on week one and the fact that we made the playoffs based on largely that. No, week I agree. 16 no, roster, I agree. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, like it, the it's like what happened. Like the fact that <laughs> it's so sad that it's the, the, the Cowboys, the Cowboys lost to the Eagles. That was sad, man. I mean, Dak was injured in the whole deal, but that was sad. It was like. If, if it was like the JV team, no offense, because the guys are all uber talented on the Eagles team. But like you were saying, week 17, those guys were were practice guys. Those guys were off the street guys and they played their asses off and beat the Cowboys who were by by any imaginable metric more physically talented than them. And they, I agree 100 percent. They they played their ass off at the end of the day. Deontay Burnett. And Robert Davis are now making our final cut. Like I said, we got 12 wide receivers on our roster. We got half of them who can run sub four fours, 40s. Like, they're not going to make the roster, but they were part of the reason that we got where we got and that type of heart. People respect Doug Peterson in that locker room, despite that midseason chaos. Orlando Scandrick, Alshon Jeffrey, whoever you want, Malcolm Jenkins, whatever it is, what it is. People respect people respect Doug Peterson, even if they don't necessarily respect Howie Roseman. Um, so, I mean, for me, the NFC, like the Packers and the 49ers ride those defenses hard. If those defenses miss a step, that could be the end of their season. Easy. Because those offenses, they don't help themselves. So, for me, oh man, the NFC is a tough one. 
The NFC is a tough one, but you know I'm going to be realistic. I'm not going to put the Eagles up on a pedestal. No. <laughs> I'm sorry. I know this is an Eagles podcast, but I'm not going to put them up on the pedestal. I can see a Ravens and I can see a Ravens and Seahawks. You know what? You say the Seahawks, Pete Carroll yep. and Russell Wilson are you can it's they're hard to bet against, man. They are impossible to bet against from from uh from a betting perspective and from looking at that nfc you could give them the toughest schedule in the nfl you could give them the easy schedule in the nfl and they likely will come out the same 10 and not 10 and 6 11 and 5 9 and 7 make the playoffs barely and give every team a run for their money each week no matter who's on the field there's just something about Pete Carroll and there's something about Russell Wilson. You talk about underpaid. Russell Wilson is currently the highest paid quarterback in the league. When Patrick Mahomes gets paid, Russell Wilson deserves to get repaid and given a new raise. <laughs> I agree. Because they I deserve to be on a similar pedestal. Um, I mean, Russell Wilson, you can give him any type of weapons. He had Doug Baldwin just retire out of nowhere. And look what he made Tyler Lockett into. Look what he was able to do with DK Metcalf. Look what he did with the tight ends who were injured. There was He lost Will Disley early. And look what he did with Jacob Hollister and stuff. He's a, a killer quarterback. He's awesome. So, I mean, I'm going to go. You just Ravens need to let him loose, man. Let him loose. The let problem him do his with thing. the Seahawks, and I say this as a Seahawks fan, is that they like Pete Carroll? The only knock is that Pete Carroll plays not to lose, and every single week it seems like the game plan on you know whatever Tuesday morning, Wednesday morning when they get to the office say, all right, what's the best way we can not lose this game, and let's do that. And it's yeah, the most frustrating plays, thing to watch. He plays so smart, like Marshawn Lynch, one yard to go. That's all you have to look at. He throws right. the ball and it's a pick. The he's so just. He doesn't always take the most obvious direction. He just kind of thinks, how can I either win this game or how can I save this game and be conservative? And how can I just secure that victory? So, I mean, I'm the same way. That's the only thing that scares me about the Seahawks is Pete Carroll's decision-making and play-calling from time to time. Um, comeback player of the year from injury. We got a few of them. Which one's going to be the comeback player of the year? God, that's so hard to say. Um, I'm going to say Marquise Brown. And I'm going to say that, and it's going to be hard to quantify it because he's going to be a second year. We all know how rookie receivers don't, they're not, it's not the easiest for them to assimilate with the route trees and the offense and they're still learning, et cetera, et cetera. But I really think that he's going to take a step forward from a physical health perspective because he played the entire 2019 season off of that, that list Frank situation that we talked about. He had hardware in his foot from the previous surgery that he had, and he had that hardware removed sometime in, I think it was April, March or April. So in terms of being on the injury report and, and, and being healthy, I think that Marquise Brown, I think you're going to see a big jump from him. For me, this may sound crazy, but I'm going Matt Stafford. Uh, he's, got, he's got some really good offensive weapons. His offensive line isn't great. The offensive line's never been good. But you look at it, Marvin Jones and Kenny Galladay held their own with the quarterbacks that they had, Jeff Driscoll and David Blau. Somehow they became not only fantasy assets, but but someone that you were like, wow, they did that with that quarterback, with those quarterbacks. So I'm going Matt Stafford on this one because I think he That's has fair. a lot of potential. And I think that the Lions were on their way to potentially eight and eight, nine and seven and eight and eight, nine and seven doesn't sound great. But with that additional playoff team, that could be what gets you in. So, I mean, I'm not saying the Lions will get in. 
but they took some step forwards. They moved on from Darius Slay, but they got the best quarter, cornerback coming out of college, Jeffrey Okuda. You got Matt Stafford coming back, who is that is their offense. Matt Stafford. What will Matt Stafford do? The yards that he can produce, the throwing. He is your pocket passer, but that's fine because he does very well at that part of the job. So guy, I'm going Matt Stafford, but I mean I debated Stafford and Roethlisberger pretty hard there because of what you said about the Steelers right. a little bit earlier as well. Um, player you're most concerned about in the NFL who's returning from an injury. Hmm. That one's a good one, too, because I've gone back and forth with a few of them. I think that from generally speaking, you know, coming off of an injury, um, if you're specifically being that, you know, that specific question, uh, I think that Roethlisberger has to be up there just because of his Mm -hmm. age. Um, his general, his general lack, at least he looks like his general lack of physical conditioning and his attitude towards physical conditioning that is pretty well documented and just what he looks like. I'm not even really concerned with the injury itself, but I wonder what he's eating. I wonder what his workouts look like. I wonder what his physical conditioning is. I wonder how hard he rehabbed. I'm not, I'm not, it's not an indictment on him. I don't know any of those answers. I just, I just wonder, you know what I mean? So that's sort of where I stand with Ben Roethlisberger because all of that stuff, especially when you're functioning at the highest elite levels and you're 38, 39 years old, those things start to matter a lot more. 100%. I'm on board with that. Uh, My my biggest concern is Ben Roethlisberger. A, he was never the healthiest looking guy, never like the most fit quarterback and in-shape guy. He's your pocket guy, drops back and he'll throw you bombs all day, every day for passes. But it's definitely concerning especially because of the whole elbow situation. Man, it's it's a tough injury, especially like you think about pitchers who go through that similar situation and they get the Tommy John surgery and stuff. Um, I seriously do think it's a concern of mine, not just like the way that he rehabbed, not just thinking about that and his shape and his conditioning, but just the injury itself and the sheer amount that they will expect him to throw in that offense because it's just Mike Tomlin he throws they throw the ball they constantly rank top 10 in the league in passing plays per game so you know that they're going to pass the ball a lot and you know that they have weapons there just acquired Eric Ebron you got Deontay Johnson who emerged as a really good rookie and he's going into his second season Juju Smith-Schuster who struggled with injuries last season and he's going to be back and healthy there's some pieces there. They're going to expect that ball to be thrown. So I do have concerns over Ben Roethlisberger and coming back from that injury. Um, how about you, a random surprise prediction? It could be anything from anything from an injury that you think could happen or flare up, an overrated team, an underrated team, just a random prediction that you're going to stick your flag in and you're going to say, this is my hill. Carson Wentz will play at least 15 15- regular season games without any injury issues. And that is, doesn't sound bold because most quarterbacks do, but given everything we've already talked about, I'm, even if he randomly gets an injury, I'm, I'll live with it. But the fact that, you know, I'm, I feel like it's there, there's a 2.3% injury free rate. I'm, that's a pretty heavy ask for me, but I think that he will play the entire regular season or at least 15 games of it. Uh, without any injury issues. Wow. I like it. Uh, you came on an Eagles pod and you gave an Eagles surprise prediction. It was genuine, I, too. That's the first thing that popped in my mind. I really like it. 
And let mine mine is actually for the Cowboys, and it's strictly for fantasy purposes because I've planted my flag on this mountain long ago. Dak Prescott is thrown for 5,000 yards with three 1,000-yard receivers. That is where I've planted my flag this season from a, a surprise prediction standpoint. Wow. You look you look at the vacated targets, the vacated yards. There's over 1,200 yards vacated this season. There's over, oh, man, I can't remember the exact number of vacated targets, but there's well over 100 vacated targets. If you take out the two wide receivers that are leaving, whose names are completely slipping my mind right now, Tavon Austin and Randall Cobb, mm-hmm. that equates to almost 100 targets if not a little bit over 100 targets and 800 yards cd lamb is 10 times the player that randall cobb and tavon austin are both of them so i see that definitely happening i mean that assumes no injury. amari cooper you always have to wonder is he going to stay healthy is he going to disappear for games you know whatever but he's had over a thousand yards almost every single season he's been in the nfl and he's been thrown to um Michael Gallup over 1,000 yards last season. C.D. Lamb, I told you about the vacated targets. They're going to throw that damn ball so much, so much. Dak Prescott is going to wish, like, he's going to wish he had some robotic arm or something because they're going to throw that <laughs> ball a ton, a ton, a ton. Um, so that that's my, that's why I've been planting my flag from a fantasy perspective. So it's what I'm going to plant my flag on this episode. And no... I know for anyone listening who may be sitting there saying, oh, my God, I can't believe he said that. I still think that the Cowboys are finishing eight and eight. That defense worries <laughs> me. That defense does worry me. I, I think I said it on my fantasy football podcast a few weeks back. They can put up. It was similar aspect to the uh, to the Chiefs situation. Dak Prescott can throw for 500 yards in a game and six or seven touchdowns and put up 50 points. The team that they're against will likely find a way to get 51. So mm-hmm. that that's where I, I plant that. my flag on the Cowboys situation. And I may sound biased and seem biased, but uh, that's just what I see based on what happened last year and play, based on the players that they've lost. So this was awesome. I had a great time, Edwin. Thank you for coming on again. Um, two seconds to let people know where they can find you. Yeah, at FB Injury Doc on Twitter. And make sure everybody goes over to fantasypoints.com and make a free account. Right now you get a free subscription. You literally get everything for free. Graham Barfield's Yards Created, Scott Barrett's analysis, John Hansen's uh, analysis. You get Joe Dolan. You get Tom Broly talking about um, talking about all the betting stuff and and sort of rookie profiles. You get the IDP guys. You get all there. It's, it's all free right now because of the pandemic. So even when you get a free subscription, you also get a massive discount if you pre-order a subscription that's going to start sometime when the season does. Um, it's like a 30% off uh, subscription. So those guys are massive giants in the industry. I'm just Christian Leitner. If you want to get a subscription for Christian Leitner's content, go for it. But really, you're going to want to get all that, all those other guys' stuff. Um, and you can get it for a 30% off price for the NFL season. And you can get it for free right now. So that's what you should do, fantasypoints.com. Love it. That is awesome. You can find us at Kelly Greenhour on Twitter. Be on the lookout because... I know that our logo sucks because I literally put purple Kelly Green Hour right in on some guys, a bunch of guys wearing Kelly Green jerseys. We actually have a logo coming. We do. Oh, I, I have it coming down, so we're dropping a, a fire logo for sure. So keep your eye out at Kelly Green Hour. You can follow my co-host or host 
who couldn't make it today at LJ at LJ Harrell 54 and you can find me at Connor 10 T-E-N thank you for listening don't forget to rate and review the podcast and stay safe